0: All right. Thank you, Andrew. And it is great to see everyone this morning. I was thinking this morning for some reason, I used to have a pastor a a number of years ago, a long time ago, who used to start every single service. He would come out and he would say, it's great to see you where you should be this morning in the family of God. And I I don't know why that hit me again this morning, but I used to kind of like when he would say that It it was, it was nice to be reminded we're among the family and in a good place on a Sunday morning. I hope that you're feeling that today. We are going to be in 1 Peter in just a moment. And as we get into this, you know that we've been ending, well, if you've been with us, you know that we've been ending our sermon time with a little bit of a Q&A time, question and answer time. And so I'll put the number up on the screen for those of you that haven't seen it before. The questions have been coming in from our Burlington location and our location here in Belmont. We've answered some of those live, and your pastors, as a group, we have started to record answers to questions we weren't able to get to in the live service. So those recordings are happening. A number of you have also asked, since we're talking about all of these important things, is there a chance to do this live and in person? And if we do that, we definitely want to do that very faithfully and well. And so we're talking about that as, as well as your pastor. So I want to say, if you're texting in and saying those kind of things and you're not hearing something back immediately from us, it doesn't mean we're not praying about it and thinking about it and not wanting to do it. Uh, and so thank you for, for all of you. It's, it's been kind of fun and interesting to see questions come in on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday throughout the week. So you're welcome to keep doing that and we'll keep answering those as best as we can. We've been talking about, so some of you are saying, well, what are we even texting in questions for? Let me, let me bring us all uh, up to the same place. We've been talking over the past co- few weeks uh, trying to answer this question. This is a question that has, for me personally, and I think for many of us in the church, been a question that has been at the forefront of our minds over the past 20 months. And that is, in our current culture... A culture that in, sure, our country right now and perhaps around the world, but even if I got real specific and talked about the Boston area, in a culture that is secular and increasingly divided, and that describes many cultures in our world, who is it that God wants us to be? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, like I call myself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're, a fo- if you're in the room and you don't call yourself a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad that you're here. Because I think it's probably really, it's really interesting to understand your perspective on who Christians are and, and how we've responded over the last 20 months to different things. I think it's really important that we understand who God wants us to be. There's all sorts of reactions that take place in our, in our world when, when things come up and things happen. And, and the first week that we were together, we introduced four things that, that we see people doing. And we'll put those up on the screen here and walk through them quickly. As, as believers, as Christians, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this earth is your home away from home, we said the first week. That we live here and we engage here, but we're reminded that our ultimate home, our ultimate destination is in eternity with God with Christ. And some of us, as we, as we walk through this home away from home, when things come up and we're trying to figure out how do we, how do we maintain our faith in, a, in, our, in the world that we live, some people fall into hopeless compromise in which they decide to make this home their home and live that this is home. And so we stop doing some of the things that God has asked us to do in order to get along. Some people, some Christians retreat into what I would call fearful isolation so that we maintain our focus on our eternal home and so that we're not compromised by anyone in the world around us. We withdraw from it all together. Some of us find ourselves engaging in what I've termed restless revolt in which we take on under our own strength, the responsibility to make this world the way it should be. And I've suggested to you over the past few weeks that I think what God calls us to is faithful engagement. Faithful in that we don't turn away from what God says to do or who he is and engaging in a way as best as we can that points other people to Jesus. And to help center our discussion, we've, we've been living in 1 Peter over the past few weeks. And we're going to stay there over the next few weeks. And there's really one verse that for me over the past few months has really stuck out as a verse that very simply tells us exactly how we're supposed to live as followers of Jesus in a situation like we're in. I see a lot of similarities between the world that, that we live in and the culture we're living in and the culture that these early Christians were living in in the first century in the Roman Empire. We talked about that week one. And Peter says to that group in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, these four simple things, and this is what we're talking about here today. He says this, Honor Everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This week, last week, we talked about honor everyone. This week, we're going to talk for a few minutes here about what it means to love the brotherhood. Andrew mentioned it just a moment ago, but uh, for many in our context, families are going to gather. People are going to gather this Thursday, and some of you come uh, from cultures where, where Thanksgiving is something new to you, so I don't know if you're gathering or not on, on Thanksgiving, but what I'd like you to think of is one of those times in your life where you have to get the family together or you're supposed to get the larger group together because there always is someone on the list, isn't there? There's always someone on the list that technically is family, but you're not quite sure whether or not you should invite them this year, right? Let's be honest. Somebody is whispering somewhere, hey, we're getting everyone together on Thursday, but are we... We're inviting Uncle Joe. Is Uncle Joe coming? Is he going to get invited this year? And you start having this conversation. Well, we could invite Uncle Joe, but you know if we invite Uncle Joe, it goes on and on, right? There's always that question. And I can see some of you uh, giggling behind your mask a little harder than others. You know exactly this question. Like, are we going to invite that person? Because if you invite them, you know that you're inviting some disagreement. If you invite them, you know you're inviting some tension. But if you don't invite them, you're saying to them, you're not good enough to be here. You're not a part of the group. And so sometimes we invite and hope they have other plans, right? You ever pulled that move? <laughs> if you have something else, it's okay, but you're definitely welcome. <laughs> but We know what that's like We know if we extend the invitation, there's going to be some some tension, some disagreement. But if we don't, we're also saying something else. I'll tell you, over the past couple of years, this idea of who's actually in the family when it comes to Christianity and the faith has been such a challenging question for so many. And it's been really sad, I think, to see what we as brothers and sisters in Christ are willing to break fellowship over throughout the past number of months. And so often we've stopped inviting each other in different places. And we've said, nope. Uh, you were a part of the family, but the disagreement's too big now. The tension's too much. So why don't you stay over there and we'll stay over here and we'll maintain what is pure Christianity and you can go over there and do whatever it is that you're doing, but we can no longer be a part of the same family. And sometimes that happens very physically within churches. Sometimes it happens along larger sort of denominational lines. So often in our world right now, it's just happening on social media, that we are drawing these lines. And at the end of 2020, Lifeway Research did a poll of pastors. And they said, what is the biggest challenge right now that you are facing? And the pastors did not say uh, in-person services. The pastors did not say uh, COVID regulations. The pastors overwhelmingly said the biggest challenge that we face right now today is maintaining unity within our congregation it's the biggest challenge we face because there are so many things happening in our world today that threaten to divide and you've seen this you've you've experienced this right I'm not not talking about something that you're not aware of. You and I have heard, whether someone says it in person or they type it and put it out on the internet, you and I have heard plenty of people say, well, there's no possible way you can be a Christian and vote for fill in the blank. There's no possible way you can be a Christian and not say fill in the blank. There's no possible way that you can be a Christian and say fill in the blank. We've all heard it over the last 20 months, people making dividing lines and saying when people are in the family and when they're out of it, when you're invited, and when you're not anymore. And the question that exists out there for you and for me is while that reality is happening, who in the world are we supposed to be? It's a tough question to answer, isn't it? Who are we supposed to be? Our world is disagreeing and dividing. Our culture is disagreeing and dividing around all sorts of issues. And that is happening also within the church, but that's nothing new to the church. It's nothing new that that there would be disagreements and division within the life of the church. The question is how do we handle it? Even if you look on Lexington Street right here in Belmont We have our church here, this Assemblies of God Pentecostal Church. And if we start driving up the hill, we would find a Catholic parish that's right up the street. And if we kept going a little bit further, we would find the Armenian Orthodox Church. And also across the street, we'd find the American Baptist Church. And if you came here last night on Saturday night, you would find a Pentecostal Armenian church meeting in this space. And all of those different congregations exist and different denominations exist because somewhere along the line, there was disagreement that led to some sort of division. And the question that we have to deal with is when is it a godly thing and when is it just us taking matters into our own hands? My parents' church just celebrated 100 years. It's not the church that I grew up in. They're attending a different church now. But my dad sent me one of the sermons that the pastor of the church did. It's a very large church in the Midwest, about five or 6,000 people, I would say. And one of the things the pastor did as a, cel- as a part of their 100-year celebration, which I really respected, is he talked about a moment in the 70s I believe it was in the seventies where the church was growing and thriving. And one group within the church decided that they, they believed in a certain um, charismatic doctrine that the rest of the church didn't agree. And I won't get into all the details, but it ended up in a very painful split So when I grew up in my town, there were two giant churches. There was Trinity Church, that was a massive church. And there was Christ Community Church, that was a massive church. And I didn't realize, honestly, until this sermon, that those two churches existed because there was such this painful disagreement and division that happened decades ago. And the pain of that exists for so long that they felt like they couldn't properly celebrate their 100-year anniversary without acknowledging the pain of the division, And so we see it happening in our world. We see it happening in the church. It happened to the first century Christians. And Peter comes in here and he says, listen, there's going to be disagreement in the church, right? The church is not perfect. I get it. There's way too many humans involved for the church to be perfect. So there is going to be disagreement within the life of the church. The question is, how do we handle it? What do we do? Peter comes in. And he's writing, I really see First Peter as this manual as to how to live. When you feel like you're living in a culture as a, as a Christian minority, how do you live that out? I love this book. I love this letter. And toward the end in chapter 4, toward the end in chapter 4, I think we said 1015, if you'd flip over to 1016, if you're using those Black Pew Bibles, we're going to read in chapter 4. Peter starts in verse 8, and he says two words that when we read those two words, our ears ought to perk up. He's at the end of his letter. He's toward the end of his letter. And he writes these two words at the beginning of verse 8. He says, above all. Everyone say that with me, all right? Above all. You say it. Here we go. Ready? Ready? Above all, when we hear those two words, our ears ought to perk up because Peter has said a lot of things to the people. And now here's what he's saying. Hey, out of everything that I've just told you, pay attention to this. Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another with this important caveat without grumbling as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as goods stewards of God's varied grace. Peter comes in and says, listen, you're going through a lot. At this point, you had very few believers scattered across a large area. And Peter says, listen to me, if you want to maintain this thing, if you want to see this church grow, if you want to see it thrive, if you want to see more people come to Jesus above all, above all. Keep loving one another earnestly. As the world around you disagrees and divides, find ways to show hospitality to one another, Peter says, without grumbling. You have gifts that God's given you, use them. Use them to serve each other, he says. I think one of the questions is, why would Peter say this, uh, that this is above all? I mean, of all the things that he could say. He could have said, above all, keep preaching boldly. He could have said, above all, make sure that you're, you're out there making a big difference in the world. But he said, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Why would he say that after those two words? I think part of the reason Peter would say that is because Jesus and his ministry made it clear that how we handle disagreement and division among us as followers of Jesus would remain and be the key thing that would show the world that Jesus is from God and we are sent by him. Jesus said in his ministry, the way you and I, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, handle disagreement and division is the key way that the world would know that Jesus is sent from God and you and I are sent by him. In fact, in his last prayer, in his last prayer, before he went to the cross, in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed these words to his father. He said, I do not ask for these only. And when he means these only, he means his disciples, the ones that are with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. That's all who would come after the disciples. So this is Jesus's prayer for you and for me, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may that they also may be in us, so that, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus draws a direct correlation between our ability to maintain unity and the world's acknowledgement that, G- that God is the one who sent him. And I don't know about you, but I'm challenged by that. He says a little bit earlier in John chapter 13, this is the moment where if you remember, if you're familiar with this story, Jesus is having his last supper with his disciples. And before that meal begins, John records that Jesus came and did the work of a servant, that he went around the room and he washed his disciples' feet. One of the most menial jobs that the lowest servant would do, Jesus comes and wraps a towel around his waist and he washes the dirt and the dust off his disciples' feet, all 12 of them. That means he's not just washing the feet of John, the disciple whom he loved. He's also washing the feet of Peter, the disciple who would deny him at the cross. And he washes the feet of Judas Iscariot. The one who he knew would betray him the next day. And after he does this, Jesus says to his disciples, these words, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says in his ministry that our ability to love one another, our ability to maintain unity, how we deal with disagreement and division among us is going to be a key witness to the world around us. That he was sent from God and we are sent by him. Now, some of you might be saying to me, all right, pastor, I get it. I get it. We got to, we got to be careful. We got to be cautious. Maybe we went a little overboard as the church when we, when some of us decided that, that because of, of we're going to break fellowship over mask mandates, but there are places pastor, there are places where we need to draw clear lines and there are places where we can't just gloss over and keep loving everybody and keep showing all of this compassion and grace because we have to maintain truth what about those areas i think that's a fair question if you're asking that what about those areas there are only two places that i two areas that i can find in the new testament in which God gives us a very clear line as to when it is okay to break fellowship and go a different direction. If there's more that you know of, I would love to hear them, but I can find two. The first one happens in Galatians chapter one. This is the apostle Paul writing to the church. And he says this, I am astonished. He says to the church, That is the first place that I see in scripture where Paul is making a dividing line. And he's saying, if someone comes to you and preaches a gospel different from the one that we have preached to you, you need to divide yourself. So then the question becomes, well, what's the gospel? I think the gospel is very clear. For all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Amen. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. Anyone adds to that or takes away from it? It's a different gospel. I'll give you an example. October 31st, 1517. October 31st. A monk named Martin Luther just finished his trick-or-treating, I'm sure. And he took a document that he had written, 95 theses, and he passed, uh, uh, set them up, put them on the door of Wittenberg Castle. Because he had a complaint with the church. The church was adding to the gospel, in his opinion. They were adding payment for the forgiveness of sin. So not only did Jesus forgive sin, but if you also added a little bit of money to the church, you would get like extra forgiveness. Martin Luther had a problem with that. It was not his intention to divide. But he had a complaint that ended in division. Where we see people adding to or taking away from the gospel, we ought to bring it up. But what we can't do is redefine brotherhood so that it fits our likes and dislikes. What we can't do is redefine what is included in that gospel so that the community starts to look more like us and sound like us and think like us just for our own comfort. It gets messy though, doesn't it? It's messy. we're family. What I can do is I can say, yeah, I think it was, I think it was right for Martin Luther to bring that up at that time in the church, to post that and to say, we shouldn't be adding money to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What I can't do is say, you know, all those people that are gathering for mass up the hill today, none of them are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't redefine brotherhood. There's people in that congregation this morning that are trusting Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. And believing that with all honesty and sincerity. And it's going to look very different how we worship this morning. But those who claim the gospel are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I can't, even if we're never going to worship in the same room, in the same time, I can't start redefining brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ into something else. The other area I see in scripture where God says it's okay to divide is around sin. And someone who's engaged in unrepentant sin and refuses to change, but wants to still be a part of the body and the family. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. Now, our world has really pushed the boundaries on sexuality. This is one I bet our whole world is in agreement on. We're all in on this. This is not right. And here you had a congregation, a church, a congregation where this person was engaged in this activity and the congregation was fine with it. And Paul's saying it's not right. And you are arrogant, he says. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. There's a lot more to talk about here, but I'll just try to say it as simply as I can. If someone has sin in their life and they're a follower of Jesus and they are in the fight and they're struggling with sin, we're 100% together. But if there are things that God has said to do and things that God has said not to do, we cannot change those things just for the sake of getting along. We ought to be very careful though not to bring things into that realm that are convictions and not clearly defined sin. I'll tell you where I'm at as your pastor. Some might like it, some may not. I think the vaccine is a conviction. I have plenty of Christians who believe that the right godly Christian thing to do is to get vaccinated. And I know plenty of Christians who believe that the right godly thing to do is to not get vaccinated. Who's my brother and sister in Christ? All of them. all of them. And what do I do? I keep loving them earnestly. Because love covers a multitude of sin. And I do it in person and I do it online. And if we want to have a conversation around it, we have a conversation around it. Everyone's welcome. Show hospitality without grumbling. And as I can serve you, I'll try to serve you my best. I'm not perfect in it, but we can't start redefining things to make it easier and less messy. We have to be very careful with that. Jesus has said to you and to me, how we show love to one another, how we maintain our unity, how we disagree and divide is so vital to making sure that the world knows that he is sent from the Father and we are sent from him. And how powerful would it be in a world that longs for unity and yet is constantly disagreeing and dividing. If followers of Jesus Christ could get this right, what impact would that make for the gospel of Jesus Christ? If our world keeps saying, we want to all get along, we want to all live in love with one another, but they can't figure it out, and there's constant division, and there's constant disagreement, and there's constant dividing, and they keep looking at at the church, and they keep looking at Christians, and they say, we can't figure it out. But you know who figured it out? Those people. And I think they're kind of crazy. And I think they follow a book that I'm not sure has relevance for today. And I think they're, they're kind of out on a limb with this whole Jesus is God and Savior of the world stuff. I'm not sure I believe all that. But I do know this. This thing that we're searching for in our world of unity and loving one another, even when we disagree, those people figured it out. But when they look at the church and they look at us as Christians and they say, those people are not anywhere close to where we are. They're worse than us or they're the same. What message is that sending for the gospel? I think is a question we have to ask ourselves. That sermon my father sent me from the church in Omaha. They weren't just talking about the division. There were two pastors on stage that day. Remember that division that happened decades ago ended up in Christ Community Church and Trinity Church. And for decades, they didn't really like one another. For decades, there was a clear division between the two. For decades, they, the pain was felt. In that moment, two pastors were on stage, the senior pastor of Christ Community Church and the senior pastor of Trinity Church. And the senior pastor of Trinity Church was telling the story of how earlier in the year God convicted their board that they had decades earlier sinned by creating a disagreement and creating division in a way that was unloving and unhelpful. And even though here decades later, they had a big ministry, thousands of people the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, you need to go back to that church and ask for forgiveness. And what a powerful moment it was to watch one church ask another for forgiveness. And what a uniting thing it was to see that happen. Paul says at the end of this book in chapter five, verse five, that as we deal with each other, we have to clothe ourselves in humility. So here's my final question for you. When it comes to all the disagreement and all the division, are you continuing to earnestly love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you finding ways to show hospitality without grumbling? Are you using your gifts to serve those who also follow Jesus? And how can you clothe yourself in humility in all those interactions?